Okay, so the, the Talmud in, and that's the next quote here in 11, in 12, sorry, in Sanhedrin says, um, this is, how does this work? When we have a, a commandment in the Torah itself, in this case it's in one Genesis, one, how do we know, if it was originally given to Noahides, um, how do we know if it's also for Jews? Meaning when the Torah was given, whatever it was, a uh, thousand years, 1,200, 15 years, 100 years later, after Genesis. So how do we know which commandments um, were given also to Jews if, if it wasn't repeated? How does that work? Let's say a, a commandment was given to Noahides but was not repeated to Jews. Says the Talmud, any mitzvah, number 12 here, any mitzvah conveyed to Noahides and not repeated at Sinai applies to Jews, not Noahides. Um, just the opposite, if it was not repeated at Sinai, that is only for non-Jews. Okay, so meaning, this is against um, the literal reading, right, it's against conventional wisdom, but it says is, if it was originally commanded to Noahides, prior to the giving of the Torah, prior to Mount Sinai, so then, if it's repeated, then it applies to Jews and non-Jews. If, if it was not repeated, meaning it was only given to Noahides, then, and at Sinai it was not repeated, then that mitzvah is only for Jews, not for non-Jews. Which is a little strange. Can you give one example? What? Can you give one example? So, let's, one example would be, actually it's this week's parasha, look at that, believe it or not. This week's Torah portion um, is, and I think I mentioned this last week, it's called the prohibition of eating the sciatic nerve. Um, it says when angel, when the angel fought Jacob, he harmed him in the sciatic nerve, and uh, and Jacob was limping, and says therefore for all generations, um, we don't eat the sciatic nerve. Okay, that was not repeated at Sinai, that law. So even though it wasn't given at Sinai, um, we as Jews keep the law. Non-Jews, so Noahides, do not have a problem of eating filet mignon. It's only Jews like we mentioned last week, can't get a good filet mignon because the sciatic nerve runs right through the filet mignon. So it's very hard to, 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 uh, to get it out, to cut out the sciatic nerve. There's a lot of different nerve endings. That's the main reason, very hard to find, or almost impossible to find a kosher filet mignon in, uh, even in high-end kosher restaurants. So that is an example of something that was given prior to Sinai, to, to at that point there was no Jewish people it was just Jacob and his family it was commanded but it was that commandment was not repeated ever at Mount Sinai and still in all it's, so now it's only for Jews the prohibition is only for Jews not for non-Jews Ron go ahead but, but here one second says, if it wasn't repeated it's only for non-Jews no the I'm opposite saying, it says many um, mitzvah convey to Noahides and not repeated to non to at Sinai applies only to Jews, not to Noahides. The opposite. That's what I'm saying. It's the opposite of what you, th what you think. Ron, what were you saying? I'm not sure you gave, you gave a good example because yeah. the Noahide laws are seven laws and none of them include Gida Nashe. Exactly. That's my point. M meaning the Noahide laws as we have them today, exa that's exactly the point. Meaning they're only for Jews. So they're not included in the seven Noahide laws. That's that's a perfect example of the case. The Gita Nashe is considered what kind of law? It's a considered law only for Jews. So it's not considered a Noahide law. It's considered a rule for Jews that just happened not to be repeated at Mount Sinai. 
No, but that's why it's only for Jews. Meaning, if it was repeated at Mount Sinai, then it would also apply to Noahs. The it's fact that it wasn't suspicious. repeated. I think the editors did not do such a good job. That could be. I, that could be. Um, again, if you, if you believe there were human editors, yes. They, they, then there's a lot of uh, nuances that could have been done better. Um, that the, the, uh, the translation of the, if you look at the Sanhedrin uh, 57b, um, it goes on, uh, first of all it says that uh, Rabbi Yishmael in fact uses the word fetuses, Rabbi Yishmael uses it, but then after that uh, um, the Gomorrah is, uh, it's quite a long uh, reading, but it's saying that it's, it's, it, it disagrees with Rabbi uh, Yishmael, and it's saying that the Noahite uh, death penalties was by strangulation, and it's uh, talking about uh, his blood being spilled in him, and it's saying that a man who uh, uh, kills a man uh, by a man, uh, the blood remaining in him, he will be killed, which means he'll be killed by strangulation. That's re uh, reading the uh, on um, uh, Safaria. That's okay, so what is the, what's the connection to us? Uh, there are other opinions against Rabbi Yishmael, Rabbi. That's true, but we rule like Rabbi Yishmael. The halacha is like Rabbi Yishmael, and the Rambam, Maimonides rules like Rabbi Yishmael, the Shachanach rules. And Rabbi Yishmael does use the word fetuses. Yeah, yeah, we know that. Word you don't trust my, one second, Manny, what are you adding here? You don't trust my translation in 11? I'm looking at the, the, well, that's English translation, it's not yours. Yeah, so Safari is also English translation. So what, what are you adding? I'm not sure what you're adding to. I'm saying that, you know, we're reading, we're dealing with Tamwood. If somebody says left, somebody else says left, uh, right. And it happens. Yeah, yeah, but we, again, this is the source and then it's codified. Many, it's codified in the Shokhanar. Many, many. Shh, shh. It's codified by Maimonides. Rabbi Ishmael is the law. So you're right, there might be other opinions. Okay, fair enough. I'll, I'll yeah. go with that. But I'm just thinking there are other opinions. So now, so... In the Sanhedrin, in the Sanhedrin. Okay. The other opinions, again, there's different ways to read the Pasuk. They might all be correct. Different extrapolations. It's not a different... No one argues explicitly on Rabbi Shema. There's different extrapolations from the same words. So this is now the Shulchan Aruch. I mean, I... Yes. It's, it's ruled, yes, it is in the Maimonides at least, for sure. I don't remember the Shachanah. <laughs> so anyway, so the, the question now becomes, how could we have, again, so there are other examples of this. By the way, um, procreation is another example. Mario, you wanted another an example. Another example of this would be the, the, the uh, obligation to procreate, to have children, is a mitzvah given initially to Adam and to Noah. They were Noahs, they weren't Jews. That was never, it was never repeated at Sinai. There's no, in the rest of the 613, if you go through the rest of the Torah, there's no obligation to procreate. It was only given to Noah, to Adam and Noah, who were Noahs. That's hence the name Noah. It came from Noah. But still in all, the myths, um, as far as Jewish law is concerned, only Jews have an obligation to procreate. Non-Jews do not have an obligation. It doesn't mean they can't. Um, they, and they should. But as far as obligatory, um, it's only obligatory for Jews. So that would be another example, just Mario, if you're looking, um, a different example of, yeah, it. of things that, since it was not repeated at Sinai, the assumption is only for Jews. So now the problem becomes, um, as we're saying, we, the Torah was given to the Jewish nation for us to hold 
ourselves on a higher moral standard. We have a lot more restrictions than the, than the rest of the world. Okay, so now, if that principle is correct, which that's the assumption of, I think, a basic assumption in Judaism that we have a lot more restrictions. So how is it possible that we're saying abortion for a Jew is not considered murder, but for a non-Jew, it would seem like from this verse, is considered murder? Okay, that's a, that's a major, you know, that doesn't make sense. And that's, this is the question the Talmud in uh, Sanhedrin asks this question. <coughs> One second. Um, so the Talmud, I'm going to read it from here. <coughs> the Talmud says like this, it says, um, so actually, okay, so that's the Talmud's question, that's not the Talmud's question, actually. The Talmud um, asks it when relevant to other things, but Tosfos, one of the commentaries here in Sanhedrin, um, asked this question, um, and he says like this, he asks from abortion, he says, how is the Gemara saying that there's nothing, that the Gemara makes a statement there, principle, there's nothing in the Torah, there's nothing, there's no prohibition in the Torah that's for Jews, for non-Jews, that Jews don't have. That means it's impossible that non-Jews should be stricter in their prohibitions, in their, val in their uh, whatever you want to call moral values, than Jews. That's not possible. Talmud makes that assumption. Um, so, and says it as a principle. Says Tosus, what do you mean? What about abortion? Here we see from the fact that the, the Talmud, at least according to Rabbi Shmuel, um, like Manny's saying, is of the opinion that abortion is more strict for non-Jews than Jews. Okay, that's Tosus' question. Um, I'm going to read it to you from the t original Tosus. It says, Tosus again is, is a compilation of uh, various um, French medieval commentators on the Talmud. Who says like this? He says, um, um, "Where is it?" So he says, "Vealo ubrim." As far as fetuses are concerned, non-Jews chayiv are it's a violation of murder. Yisrael pater, and Jews are exempt. Afagaf. So Tosu says, "Afagaf the pater, even though they're exempt, meaning they're not. It's not capital. It's not murder. Kalmakam lo shari. It's still not permitted." Okay, and this is going to be a key question. What does Tosus mean it's not permitted? It sounds very much like a rabbinical prohibition. It means the whole prohibition of abortion in, in cases, again, where there's not a danger to the mother would only be rabbinical. Um, usually the word patur, and that's some extrapolate from this commentary, that it's only purely rabbinical. Then Tosus goes on to say, Okay, it's not permitted. Miyukasha says Tosus, but Tosus has a different problem, different question now. He says, We already said in a different... Gemara, which we quoted in the past, that Yatsa Rosho, once the head of the fetus has emerged, ain't Nogimbo, you can't touch it. It's a full, full life, right? Once we mentioned in last week that once the, fetus, the head of the fetus has emerged, it's now equal to the life of the mother. mother and at that point, you no longer would be able to um, abort the, the child. At this point, it's considered a full life. Once that has come out, um, because we can't push aside one life for another. They're both equal lives, meaning the mother's life and the, and the baby's life, at this point, once the baby has emerged, are equal. But what it says there is what we quoted is before the head has emerged, the midwife or the doctor can stick their hand in and abort the child and cut it up into, into pieces in order to not, be, if, the, if the mother's life 
is endangered. In this case, in this very case, it would seem to me that for non-Jew would be prohibited to do that. Meaning, even if the fetus, what Tosa seems to be saying here, is even if the fetus is endangering the life of the mother, for a non-Jew, abortion would still be prohibited. Okay? So he's asking, that's a problem, because again, we see that a non-Jew has it stricter than a Jew. How could that be? He's back to that question. So that's Tosa's question. So, um, meaning the assumption of Tosa is like this. It's a very, very important, again, relevant to Texas state law, which is that we are assuming at least from a Jewish point of view, from a halachic point of view, what is the problem with Texas law is that there, even in cases where there's real danger to the mother, I'm going to talk about a case that I had actually this week. Um, a doctor sent to me the results last night of an abortion that took place here, Texas Children's. Um, um, so I'll show you that they, their idea of a danger to the life of the mother is much lower, um, the bar is much, is much higher what's considered a danger to the life of the mother, then halacha would be considered. And I'll show you that in a second, an actual case that happened here th- um, this month. But, um, so, the, so the assumption is we're assuming that just as within the Talmud says you can abort a fetus that's endangering the life of the mother, so too, for non-Jews, the same would apply. Imp- right, the same would apply. Tosis here seems to be assuming, at least on the onset, that no, the law of of uh, boarding a fetus to save the life of the mother does not apply to a non-Jew. It only applies to a Jew. Hence Tosa's question. Okay? Um, so Tosis gives two answers to this question. He says that can't be, because again, we can't have non-Jews having stricter rules than Jews. So he says, um, so Tosa says, um, the Eishlamar, he says, maybe you can answer, it's just a mitzvah for a Jew to rescue, and therefore, it's possible that it would be even permitted for a non-Jew. Tosis is not sure, meaning he's not sure if the concept of rodef, or of saving the life of the mother, applies in the case of a non-Jew. So I want to just point that out, that's again, very important, because if we're going to fight this Texas law, are we fighting it, it could be they're doing what's proper according to the eyes of Allah, meaning that they don't have the concept of a rodev that only applies to Jews, and therefore they might be doing what's correct in the eyes of Allah. So then it would become, meaning again, for Jews it, it's not, meaning if a Jewish woman, um, her life is endangered, of course she has to have an abortion, as we discussed. But for a non-Jewish woman, Tosis seems to be not sure, he's on the fence, whether this whole concept of saving the life of the mother would apply in that situation. So it's a fascinating point that uh, many of the articles written about the Texas abortion law have not addressed. Um, so so we, we assume automatically that it's, that it's, that it's uh, the same criteria apply for the endangered life of the mother. Now again, as far as just fighting the law, because we have Jews living in Texas, so the question becomes we still should be fighting the law because for Jews living here, we, we would be, even if you want to say this distinction, but we have to have our, our rights and be able to have an abortion. So then then becomes an issue. Should we be fighting it? Because for them, maybe Allah, they're doing what's sound. So I'm, I'm going to show you now um, just a case of uh, that I got from a, it happens to be the physician, there's a physician here in the community who I think he's, he's still a resident, but he's an OBGYN resident in Texas Children's. And he called me up, uh, this is like 
two, three weeks ago, two weeks ago or something like that, that a case about, about a case that he had. Um, I'm going to show you the details of the case. I asked him to send it to me last night in an email. So let me stop sharing this and go to see if I can find his email. Good morning, Shelley. While you're looking, Yossi, uh, yeah. you know, the Catholic place, the life of the fetus above the life of the mother. Okay. Very happy for them. That's that's for sure wrong. No question, halakhically speaking. Okay, let me see what I can bring up this guy's email. Okay, so this is an actual case. I don't know if you can read this here. I really don't want to show the doctor's name. I don't want any lawsuits here. Um, but if you can read, the, this is the case. He had a, a woman presented herself to the DR with twins. Um, can, can everyone see this case? Barely, no. Can no? you read it for us? Yeah, I don't know if I can pronounce these words. Uh, Dicorianic diaminianic. Um, you want to translate that for us? Uh, it, it says right there, two separate placentas. And sacs. And one, one feet. And sacs. Two separate placentas, one sac. Yeah. One no, and sacs. Two sex. separate placentas and, and sacs. Separate placentas and uh, separate sacs. Okay, right. twin gestation at 15 weeks. She presented herself um, to, to this doctor. Earliest possible viability is at 22 weeks. One of the twins spontaneously aborted, um, with, but the placenta was firmly attached and can't be removed without scraping it out. Dilation and cartilage. Okay, so now what happened was, so the, the one, one fetus spontaneously aborted itself. The question was, they have to do a, a D, whatever it's called, a D, DNC, right? If we don't scrape it out, there's an extreme likelihood the mom, that mom would get septic, high risk for hemorrhage, and increased risk right. for permanent infertility. If we do scrape, baby B will get aborted. He said part of, automatically, he said, if they're going to do the DNC, they're probably going to end up aborting the second twin, um, who at this point had no problems. TCH... end up aborting both of them. Well, one was already aborted. One was self-aborted, so you can't abort. Oh. Okay? Now, as he said, in this case, so they, the question was, can they do it? Can they do the DNC? Because they're going to be aborting, probably be aborting the second twin with the DNC. So he says the TCH lawyers told us that according to Texas law, we have to wait until mom is an actual sakana, and we can't act proactively. That means they have to wait basically till the woman uh, starts hemorrhaging or gets infected. Because <laughs> they can't do the DNC. Because since the DNC will cause the second fetus to abort, that will be, will, will be an abortion of the second fetus, they could not do it legally. You hear what's going on here? Do we yeah. have any numbers? Get another opinion. Well, say it again, I Ron. need another legal opinion. Well, this is their, this is the hospital they're in. What's, well, the medical, what's the medical research that when one of the twins is aborted, that the other will necessarily abort or cause sepsis to the mother? Are no, well, we're talk, the first thing is we're, they're not saying the other twin. The other twin probably wouldn't abort. I don't know. I don't know anything about this, but they're saying the DNC is going to cause the abortion at this point. But if they don't do DNC, she's going to get infected. I mean, that's what the DNC is for. What is the chance prevent. of her getting infected? Yeah, you got to right. ask, ask uh, the, the OBGYN. The placenta came out. How do they know there are remains? No, oh, it says. They see it. did not come out. Pardon me? 
point. The placenta did not. No, the placenta did not. Oh, come says the placenta was firmly attached and can't be okay. removed without a DNC. You have to get percentages here. So, so again, I don't. Wrong. Well, one second. First of all, one second. One second. Wait, wait, wait. Manny, stop. Stop where you are. Manny. The medical one second. In front of you. There's no, in halacha you would not have to get percentages, even if there's a 10% yes, chance. No, no, listen to me. If there's Absolutely. a 10% chance here that this woman will get infected, and there's a lot more from what he explained to me, this doctor, that there's a good chance if you leave the placenta in there, there's, there's a likelihood of infection. There's no question, halachically, that's a danger. Even though the mother's not in danger currently, at this stage, you I would understand. be obligated to, 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 uh, to do the abortion. I'll give you that. What's the percentage? He I, said I don't know. Extreme likelihood. I'd like to know what that. I don't means. know. You have to look at it. It's probably too rare to know the percentage. Although once the cervix is opened, the inside of the uterus is exposed to the vaginal contents, which have a whole plethora of, you know, infectious materials. So there's I would think there's an excellent chance that. Um, well, in this case, the cervix is not opened yet. One second. One second. One second. Um, Alan, 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 it's yeah. not so rare because we're talking about the question here is not about twins. The question is, what's the percentage if you don't do a DNC after an abortion where the where the sac is still attached, where the placenta is still intact? What's the percent in that case? What's oh, the that one. Okay. So what's what would you say to that? I don't know. Well, well, well assume, how long could a woman go with an IUD um, before, before she gets into trouble? That, that you've seen. It's not that long. Years. Oh, uh, no. Not that long. No, I mean, usually no. They abort. They abort. Left alone, she will abort, probably. Oh, if the IUD was in, in the, during a pregnancy? Yeah, this is a pregnancy. Wait a minute. Are you talking about an IUD in a pregnancy? Yes, an intrauterine death, not an uh, intrauterine device. IUD. Oh. Generally, they abort. I'm not sure the percentage. Sometimes they carry the term. They can carry. They can carry a long time and even beyond term. Actually. Yes. But usually they, uh, usually they, they abort. Okay, listen. Yeah. So, so number one is reading that. When I heard this case, this was around two weeks ago, a Friday night in Shul, he came over to me, um, this, this physician. He told me this case, and uh, I said, for sure, halachically, that's wrong. According to Jewish law, you'd have to um, pro proactively um, abort where there's a good I, I chance disagree. where there's a good chance that the, uh, that the woman will get infected. You have I've got a very important question right now. Manny, Manny, Ron's talking. One second. Rabbis, I don't think, can rule on this until you understand the science and the medicine. And I have not heard any numbers. So he told me that there's no there's no question it's going to get infected. That's what he told me. Again, do I know numbers? No. I don't know numbers. If the doctor's telling me that, I trust him. Um, he said there's no question that uh, she's going to get infected and there's other dangers involved. He's a resident. I'd like to hear someone that has. All right, real so life I, you got to ask. I don't know. Um, the, now let me just show you the follow-up. So last night, so last night I didn't remember the details of the case, and I said I, I so I WhatsApped him last night and I said I'm giving this class um, this morning. Can you just send me the details either by email, by WhatsApp? 
So he sent me this email. And when I woke up this morning at 12, at 12.50, he sent me another WhatsApp. And I'm going to share with you the WhatsApp. So he sent me the details of the case. Okay, by email. That's what I just showed you. At 12.50 this morning, one second, I need to find it on my desktop. Give me a second. He sent me a, a WhatsApp, which I will show you. You were up at 12.15 no, this no, morning? No, no, no. 12.50. He was on call, obviously. But um, oh. he, I was not up. I got it this morning. I'm just, I took oh. a screenshot of the WhatsApp, and I'm going to show it to you. Um, if I could figure out how to do this. I will do that. Share screen. All right. Yeah. More than uh, concern about the infection, because DNC is a common practice, so we assume that there's always an infection. My question would be the possibility of causing an abortion because of the DNC. What would be? Yes. Would that be? Yeah, but again, that's what we're saying here. If the doctor is saying, and Ron is pointing, yeah, we need to know the facts, obviously, but if the facts are by leaving in the placenta, by leaving it intact, there's a good chance that that will cause infection. Um, then I mean, that's yes. the reason that we have to do the DNC, even at the risk of aborting the, the second the fetus. Right. Yes. Now let me show you the follow-up. So this is amazing. This is last night at 12.50. After he already responded with the case, this is what he shared. So this is his WhatsApp. Um, the first part was last night at 10.49. I wrote, thank you, he sent me the answer. At 12.50, he wrote, crazy timing. <laughs> this lady just walked back in this sector. She's very infected and bleeding heavily, meaning literally two hours after I sent him the text. I hope I didn't give her an Ayanhara. So it says, uh, she, uh, she's very infected and bleeding heavily, now proceeding with induction. Okay? So this happened last night. This is real time. You see, our class is real time. We give our, uh, our class in real time. Um, I'm glad you didn't wake us up for real time. <laughs> so what what is the take-home message from this? Because I think it's not as clear as you're making it sound. So again, listen, I can't speak for the for the uh, numbers. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, the the take-home message, yes. Yeah, According to what? One second, one second. Let me finish. Ron, you asked me a question. Well, when a woman presents infected yeah. and bleeding, she should have a DNC. Well, well, once yes. well I, again, I'm not, I don't know numbers. You're right, you're correct. We have to know numbers. But based on what this guy told me, I said it sounds, there's no question, logically, you need to do the DNC. Again, yeah. based on what he told me. Does he know what he's talking about? Yeah. I can't, I can't. We're, we're mixing yeah. up things here. No question no. originally. When a woman comes in infected and bleeding, there's no question. There's no discussion. The question is whether yes. this should have been done preemptively. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's what we're talking exactly. about. Exactly. She had to suffer because of the stupid Texas law. Well, the, the issue, I mean, I'm not putting down the it suffering of the woman. The issue is, again, her, her health was placed in danger. Halakhically, this woman's health um, and life was placed in danger. Infection in halacha is considered uh, life-threatening. Oh, okay, and therefore, by not having the DNC originally, halachically, this woman's life was placed in danger. Now, and I want to point out a key point here, that halacha states very clearly that that even, and we discussed this in past sessions, in other 
context that Halacha says it's not you are allowed to let's say let's say when it comes to violating Shabbat, okay, which is a big year as we know you're allowed to violate Shabbat. Everyone agrees. All the Halacha says very clearly, even if someone currently is not in danger, but if you don't do something now, they will get into a danger at a later point, a danger to their life. Meaning even if it's two weeks later, because you're not treating them now on Shabbos, because you're not violating Shabbat, then the law is Halacha says very clearly then it's considered there is a danger right now. It's the same thing with, uh, as we discussed, the whole Rabbi Yisrael Salanter case, fasting on Yom Kippur, breaking your fast when there's a pandemic. Okay, in cases of, not, not current pandemic, but whatever they are, cholera, cholera, cholera pandemic. Over there, most postcom said, the fact that right now, if people don't break their fast, they're immune, they're going to have lower immunity. Okay, and therefore they need to break their fast now because of the future danger to their life. Okay, that's a, again a biblical violation. So surely, by the way, abortion, which we're saying according to most, is not murder, even even uh, regular, you know, it's, even if there's no danger to the life. Surely, to violate a rabbinical law, there's no question we would tell the person they have to have the DNC even at the risk of aborting the second fetus. So that's what I would say, again, in my halachic opinion. Ron is correct, we need to know the numbers, but the way it was presented to me by this physician, and he might only be a, a, a resident, not a physician, so you need to take that into account, true. But it was, it, was, it was, no, but I'm saying is meaning, does he know the numbers? But, uh, but meaning, does, do we need to know the facts on the, on the, the real chance of infection? Ron is correct in that. But the way it was presented to me, there's no question. <laughs> the abortion would be allowed in halacha, it would be required in halacha, not just allowed. In Texas, they now, as Neda put it, they made this woman get to a state, we're saying legally, where she has to get to a place where she is currently in danger. That is wrong halachically, I'm just pointing that out. Shelly, go ahead. Rabbi. One second, Shelly had his hand raised, give him a chance. Ah, get <laughs> Yeah. I looked up how they treat retained placenta during medical abortions which is a, not identical to, but similar to what this case represents. In other words, you're not going to do a DNC dilating the cervix to do the abortion. You're giving medication to cause an abortion. And they have retained placentas in those cases sometimes. How do they deal with that? It looks like they wait at least an hour because sometimes the placenta will come out. But after four hours or so, it looks like they typically will go ahead and do a DNC for fear of infection and hemorrhage. That's my read. I just looked it up while we're all talking. That's how I interpret the data as it is. Now, that may not be based on data, Ron, but I think that's what's typically done. Alan, would you agree with that? Um, I think once the uterus is, the once the cervix is open and the sac is ruptured, you've got to empty the uterus or you're going to get an infection. So Alan is confirming what I was just reading about, which is that's what done, whether statistically you can demonstrate there's a 50% chance of either infection or hemorrhage. I couldn't find that data. Yeah, but what they're saying now, Shelley, what according to this physician that I spoke to, what they're saying is, in Texas Children's at least, that because of the new Texas state law, it's irrelevant what was done till now. What they're saying is, since we have a new law stating you cannot abort unless the, woman, the mother's life is in danger presently, therefore you have to wait till she gets infected to perform the DNC, well, because the DNC will 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 cause uh, spontaneous abortion. That's a bad law. You can preemptively abort for fear of hemorrhage and infection. 
Yeah, but but the law doesn't allow that. That's what they're saying. Well, that's the story, but halachically, we're trying to determine. Yes, halachically, there's no. I have no question. Ron might have a question. I have no question. Well, and again, if the numbers are true, if the Ron, does that help? I want to hear numbers. I don't think you're going to get them. I don't Those were, Ron, if the numbers are 20% chance of infection, would you not abort? Suppose the numbers were 20%. It doesn't change it for me. 20% is awfully high. You've got to save the life of the mother. So what's your threshold? Anything more than probably 10%. Ron, what's your threshold? Yeah. You know, I think this is where the halacha comes in. It's defining that threshold, because if we find out that it's only 1% to 10% chance of sepsis in the mother, halacha might say, well, that's not that significant, but it's not, it doesn't rise to that significance to require an abortion. Maybe there's a chance of survival. Well, operationally, OB-GYN's operating if it's higher than 1% to 10%. The question Judith, is, you're above, muted for some reason. Above 1%, is that what halakha would Can't be? hear you, Judith. I think we're placing the percentages in the wrong place because it is assumed, even preventively, you have to give antibiotic and you have to protect that there is no, there won't be an infection. But I think the percentages should be on removing the remains and what would be the percentage of causing an abortion. Now, if you're removing the placenta, does that mean that you are intentionally causing an abortion going by the Texas law? No. Well, they're you saying it is. The, the Texas children's lawyers did not allow, allow them to, to do the DNC. So I don't, again, I don't know enough about the Texas law or about, they clearly were concerned and they did not allow this physician to perform the DNC. So... Well, but, they're wrong. <laughs> the lawyers are wrong. The laws lawyers are, are always wrong. They're wrong. Lawyers are always wrong. But the question is, what's the Texas state law? We need the to woman know. was in trouble and she needed a DNC and the lawyers were wrong. Not the law, the lawyers. So Judith is pointing out here in the chat. Let me see if I can read it. Um, I don't think the law says presently. I think it was the attorney's interpretation. I think the attorney was a man. <laughs> that, that's for sure. But but we don't know what the law. I mean, they clearly were concerned legally. What's interesting is that they. I would think there would be a concern the other way too. They can get sued if the woman gets infected. Is the hospital not concerned of the lawsuit in that direction? So, right. so I don't know how they made this decision, but clearly they, the law, that's one of the issues I think, is there's a lot of um, vagueness in the law and, and it's still being interpreted. And, and it was specifically written with, with vagueness from what I've heard, you know, as far as the heartbeat, uh, you know, is there, at which point, there's no numbers given as to which point you do have, you can uh, find the heartbeat. So there's, so that's the question. I think the hospitals and the legal uh, committees in the hospitals are struggling with this in how to interpret the law. Um, so yes, it's all, it's all interpretation of the law. Okay, so... Um, so we have ten, 10 more minutes. So that's so just fascinating to see. Here's a live application of this question where halacha is clearly contradicting. Um, even though, again, the Texas law does allow for an abortion to danger the life of the mother, 
but they clearly are saying there has to be a clear and present danger as opposed to a future danger. Halacha would view a future danger as as also a I'm, I'm disappointed that halakha does not require science to be part of its decision. It does, of course it does. Why are you saying that? It, it does immensely. The science that I received from this doctor was saying that there's, that there probably, she will get, she, he almost no, told me, it's almost certainly Rabbi she'll get infected. always ask the Bucky, and he's not the Bucky. I, listen, based on the information I was given, that is not luck. Was if the doctor, again, if the science is not correct, which has been happening a lot lately, um, so then that's a different story. You know, we can only go with the science. The rabbis are not scientists. Listen, Yossi, we've gone over this a million times. When there's overwhelming scientific evidence, like smoking being a hesitation, the rabbis were hesitant for decades. No, no, but that's here, something else. That's, that's here a different. we're just talking about... No, no, that's, that's very different. Science right, I know that's your favorite topic, the smoking. And all the rabbis have ignored science in having this discussion. If you find out that there's a 1%, 10%, whatever, okay, then include that in the discussion. It becomes much more relevant. Of course, no question. Um, again, based on what your your analogy to smoking is totally irrelevant. That's a whole different um, animal. I know that's your favorite topic. There was yes. science involved, and the rabbis ignored it. No, there was no you science again science originally. Yeah, there was no uh, there was no real studies. We read tons of science. It was just it was uh, what they based it on Life magazine. You know, the Life Life magazine said that you know th at that I point they didn't have studies. I think there is another issue, and I'm, uh, I don't remember clearly. Maybe someone who is uh, here, OBG here, will will help me. If you leave the placenta in, the uterus will try to get rid of it. Yes. Wouldn't it? Wouldn't it? Yes. Yes. That's there you saying. go. Yeah, yeah, but again, it doesn't mean that's endangering the life of the mother. Um, what, what does that mean? We'll get rid of it. I mean, because it, but it endangers the other fetus because it will contract. Okay, that's a different. That's a different issue. Um, yeah, I think the important point is that once a sac is opened and the cervix is open, you gotta expect an infection. Regardless, right. it's I don't know that it's 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 high. Once a sac and the cervix is open. There's going to be an infection. Okay. You, can't even, you can't even take the woman out of Texas. You're breaking the law too, right? No, I, don't, I think you can take her out of... I think you can take her out of the state. I don't know yes. if she was in condition to leave the state. But okay, so we're getting back to the, to the sources here because we only have five more minutes. So um, my point is like this. So I want, I want to bring out... There clearly is... Contradictory sources, um, as we discussed. So how do we um, how do we decide at the end? That's one thing. But I just want to point out again, as far as Texas state law, there's no question the law is not with is is not within the realm of halacha. Now you have a different question. Uh, was just saying it seems to be questionable, um, at least from Tosfos, whether the the law f and, and, and by the way everyone agrees halachically speaking and this is very important to understand that the law for non-Jews is stricter so much so by the way that it says if a woman is having an abortion for whatever reason it's better to use a non-Jewish doctor than a Jewish doctor that's that's a major step that we tell people to use a not to use a Jewish doctor because again because for 
Sorry, to use a Jewish doctor, I apologize. The opposite way. We tell the woman to use a Jewish doctor because for a Jewish doctor, the prohibition is much lower. Again, the threshold for the prohibition is much lower than for a Jewish, for a non-Jewish doctor, based on what we said. That everyone agrees. But I thought that had to do with Marit Ayin. No, what is Marit On the contrary, Marit Ayin, we tell you use a, a non-Jewish doctor. Here we're saying use a Jewish doctor because the prohibition, as we're saying, of destroying a fetus is much lower threshold for a Jew than a non-Jew. No, it's stricter for a non-Jew. That's clear. question is how that, how that works. Um, that's what the Talmud is struggling with. But <laughs> so the, back, Before recent times, you know, most of the time, my first 30 years in practice, I would say most of the abortionists in Houston were Jewish. I doubt if they were aware of this particular... So that's a good <laughs> thing. We're saying that's a good thing. It's just a fact. I mean, Alan probably knows who they are. I mean, I know who they are. I don't know. I don't know most of you. I don't know a lot of the abortionists, even years ago. Alan was right wing even years ago. He was right wing. But I really... Uh, Didn't uh, go in those circles. There were about six abortions here in Houston back then. At least three of them were Jewish. I knew them all personally, so... Oh, really? Yeah. Okay, so let's just try to finish the sources, and I want to have to come back to this again next week. So just as far as bottom line is, it seems the, the normal, there's, there's two extreme opinions, there's everything in Judaism here. So I'm just going to read you these three, these three uh, statements, these three quotes. 13 is from a contemporary uh, big post in Israel. His name was Rebaron Lechtenstein. He was the son-in-law of uh, Joseph B. Salavechik. <laughs> and in writing this article, he writes, assuming that we set aside certain general ethical and religious norms, such as you shall do that which is upright and good, you shall be holy, you shall follow in the ways of God. These are general, what we call umbrella laws that we found in the Torah, which is we should always try, be trying to do the moral thing. It would be, according to this view, no biblical prohibition to kill any fetus. So he's saying, generally speaking, he's of the opinion, this, the whole concept of abortion in any case, even abortion at will is only rabbinical, leaving out these nice umbrella laws which says you should do the right thing, you know, what would, uh, you know, what would the Lubavitcher Rebbe have done or whatever, you know, whatever those bumper stickers say. Um, so, but leaving that out, he's saying there's no, there's clearly no biblical violation in abortion. Okay, that's opinion number one. Now, what is the why is it even rabbinically prohibited? So the standard, there's many opinions who say like number 14, he's known as the Marit, but uh, he talks about, he also says clearly there's no uh, biblical violation. He says, although he is exempt regarding the abortion, it is not permitted. And he says, why? This is because it's prohibited as an act of wounding. So it's the regular halakha um, of chavalash, fig, it's hard to hear. Um, it's a regular halakha of, of, um, of wounding, which we discussed in many different contexts, that there's a prohibition of wounding someone, but clearly to, if the mother's life is in danger in any which way, psychologically, emotionally, there wouldn't be an act of wounding. We even allow, as we discussed, cosmetic surgery, even though it's a violation of wounding, because if there's a psychological need, any psychological, forgetting about the danger of the life of the mother. So based on this, this would be a very uh, low threshold of of uh, of when abortion would be permitted. Once you're saying the whole prohibition, rabbinical prohibition, is only because of wounding, so clearly, um, it, in, all, in many many cases, there wouldn't be an issue. And even maybe for monetary benefit, uh, let's say someone can't afford the child, you know, or something like that, you might even be able to apply that. Again, each case, of course, as we discussed, has to be addressed 
in that particular case. Um, but this is a this is many opinions are of this opinion that it's purely rabbinical. He also just said that Tosfos that's the implication from Tosfos. Ramosha Feinstein, on the other hand, he's on the opposite extreme, and he says he brings a proof from what we discussed in past weeks that um, the fact that the Rambam has to say the only reason you're permitted to perform an abortion is when the fetus is endangering the life of the mother because it has a din of a rodef, as we said, a pursuer. So he says that that in itself is a proof that it is considered murder. Otherwise, why would we have to come on to the concept of rodef? Why would the Rambam have to only permit it if the fetus is, in, is, is a rodef and classify the fetus as a rodef? If it's just rabbinically prohibited, then he says you won't have to bring in rodef. So that's his proof. It says even more clear in the Rambam that killing a fetus is murder. For he based the permission to cut a fetus to save a mother on the fetus's status as a pursuer attempting to kill it. Again, this is other people do hold Moshe Feinstein, but it's not the majority opinion. Generally yeah, speaking, and something that's quoted in Judaism, as we know, all over, is that it's not considered murder. Moshe Feinstein was very strongly opinionated, and he has a like a 20-page responsum um, bringing proof that it is considered murder. It's generally not the accepted opinion. 